is October 2nd, 2019. Day two, or really day three. Mm-hmm. Day one started with you and me. Yep. Mavs Media Day. Yep. It is day three of basketball. Oh. NBA season is here. It is numbers on the boards. I'm Bobby Corelli. He is Jeff Skin Wade. Hello. Mavs basketball is officially, officially, officially back. It's so great, dude. Um, there, the other thing, too, that I get really excited about, I mean, those that listen to numbers on the boards, and by the way, we thank you and love you for doing Absolutely. so. Absolutely. Um, but those that do know that, you know, Bobby and I love all NBA basketball. We're Mav people, uh, love the Mavs more than anything else, but we, we cover the whole league and follow the whole league. And so not only are there great Mav stories breaking out everywhere, there's tons of good NBA stories. It's back to that time of the year for me where I'm just constantly consuming uh, all of these stories that are coming out because we're launching. We're not just launching the Mavs. We're 29 other teams it's launching. It's here, man. It's here. It is here. It's introductory and, and it week. it is the most exciting season, not just for the Mavs, but I think for the league that I can remember going into and God knows when. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time, do you think, that you went into an NBA season, like on October 2nd, mm-hmm. uh, having no idea who would be even in the finals? Not who's going to be the – like, yes. who will represent the East? No idea. Who okay. will represent the West? Couldn't tell you. Yeah, you know, just without having basketball reference pulled up and start thinking about it, what comes to mind immediately is the dawn – of Golden State when the Mavericks played them in December and it was a Saturday afternoon and Golden State dismantled the Mavs and so they're like, oh my God, trade Jameer Nelson, get Rondo in here. There was like a, a, a massive ripple effect from that game, but at that point, the league wasn't quite sure that Golden State was about to be the juggernaut that it was. That was before KD went there, for example. Yeah. So that was, I think, going into that season, which, by the way, I was very bullish on that Maverick team with Chandler Parsons too, and Monte man. Ellis and uh, Tyson Chandler and Dirk and all this stuff. So that was the last time I can remember not feeling like it was preordained to two or three teams. Right? Yeah, but even then, LeBron went back to Cleveland mm-hmm. and Kevin Love was there and it was mm-hmm. the new super team. And you're right. thinking, okay, well, no matter what happens in the West – there was kind of a vacuum at the time. The Spurs had just won a championship, and maybe that maybe it could be the Mavericks, and like all these other teams are kind of like maybe too young. James Harden hadn't quite established himself. Right. It was wide open in the West, but LeBron was in the East. Mm-hmm. Now you got him in the West too. Yeah. I mean, there is. I, I have no idea who is going to do this. I don't even know who's going to make the playoffs. I mean, I really. You could talk me out of almost every team in the West making the playoffs. Yeah. Very, very easily. I'm talking like you could talk me out of the Lakers. So the, the, it was uh, one of the ESPN NBA shows, and uh, they are just going around the horn there and making predictions, and Tim Bontemps was like, he thinks the top three teams in the West record-wise, not who's going to win it, but record-wise regular season, is Denver, Utah, and Houston. Wow. And I'm sitting there looking at that going, no, oh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, Houston's a crazy wild card. I think there's this uh, automatic assumption that Westbrook and Harden can't do it. And I go back to the first year Chris Paul went there, and it was Harp that was saying it to me first, was these guys want to do this. When you get two great players that want to do that, the petty stuff that gets in the way doesn't manifest itself early on. It materializes later, right? About 18 months after he gets Yeah. <laughs> so I think the people are like, oh, Westbrook and Harden can't play together. Man, I heard all that Chris Paul and James Harden can't play together, and that team should have won it all if it wasn't for an injury. Yeah. So don't be acting like Houston is – their time has passed. We'll see, man. We'll see. I mean, they're deep. They're, I, I definitely think that they're probably the best team in this division. Now, do I mm-hmm. think they're a top – 
Do I think they'll be playing game one at home? I don't know. Right. I think they'll make the playoffs. Prob- I mean, it's almost impossible. You have a guy as good as Harden. But what if it doesn't work? What if Harden scores five points per game fewer and Russ can't hit threes? I mean, I mean so every team has such a okay, major cr- disaster potential. Chris played off the ball. Yeah. And he did it and did great things. I He's mean, always I can, been a good shooter. Yeah, and I can remember, too, when we were having the conversations about uh, Dennis Smith Jr. watching what Chris Paul does when Chris Paul plays off the ball because he was about to have to do that. Yep. Um, so I don't recall Russ. I mean, I'm sure there's times, you know, I'd have to go back to when James Harden was coming off their bench. But even then, Russ had the ball most of the time. Yep. Russ Anyways, the whole point KD. is that there's great stories. Yeah, dude, Not everywhere. just with our team. There's great stories. Yeah, both L.A. teams. I mean, yeah. you, you start at the top. Golden State, what's going on with Golden State? When was the last time Golden State was this interesting? Okay, you yeah, know? so I might have written them off prematurely. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I When does I, Clay I come back? Like they're February? They're saying All-Star break is the – he is definitely not playing before that. Okay. But that could mean – March 1st, that could mean April 1st. It could be not at all. We could actually probably use that. I'm, try- I'm not trying to grab the wheel and steer it, but there was a story about uh, a doctor saying Clay Thompson shouldn't play this year and talking about if you really want to reduce risk of re-injuring an ACL, you know, you, you need to not play for at least a year. You need to have the, the comeback after the second year. And it really got me thinking about how perfectly this whole lays out for Chris Stops. Yep. Well, missing last the time year, that he missed. Remember, he came here in, what, January 31st was the trade. And even I got to thinking, like, he's definitely playing before the end of the year. Right. He's got to be out there with Dirk. Right. You know, he wants to play with Luka, I, even if it's just for one game, just yeah. to say he got to play with his hero. But the plan all along was, I'm not playing, I'm not playing, I'm not playing. And then we'll talk a little bit more about what was said on Media Day here in a minute. But on Media Day, he told Coop and Falwell, uh, on the on the Mavs.com live stream that he could have played. Yeah. And he like he got him he was in his own head thinking like I want to be out there. I yeah. should I should be out there. I should get out there. But he cooler he heads had to prevail. Keep, yeah, he had to keep he kind of restrained himself and the Mavs I'm sure probably didn't want him out there either. I mean it's just not worth the risk. It's ultimately not worth the risk. Right. And if you're if you're Clay Thompson, I mean you're good enough. You've been to what five straight finals. Mm-hmm. You're one of the ten or twenty best players in the NBA. So you're thinking, if I just come back and I'm like eighty percent as good as I used to be, uh, or as I was last season, we'll probably get to like the conference finals at least. So he's going to be feeling that urge. But man, dude, you just put an know. incredible topic in my head for another day. Okay, the way we talk about basketball players, you just said Clay Thompson's one of the ten or twenty best players in the NBA. And my brain did this thing where I immediately said, you mean he's one of the 10 or 20 best two-way players in the NBA? Mm. And then I What's was the like, difference, though? That, that's the next thing. I was like, well, why would you even make that distinction? Yeah. And it's because we always talk about, you know, the cliche in all sports is defense wins championships. No, you got to score the damn ball. Whatever sport it is, you got to put the ball in the hole. You got to get across the goal line. What if you're great at both of those things? What if though? you're great at both? Shouldn't we value? So... Under that uh, auspice, no one would put him higher than Steph Curry, but he's clearly a better quote-unquote two-way player than Steph Curry. I mean, look at it this way. He's, by percentage, sometimes better than Steph at shooting threes, and he's definitely better at defending point guards than Steph. But You would never put the ball in his hands and go, hey, go win games for us, Yeah, no one is going to say that Steph is not as good as Clay. Right. But... Who's more important to that team? I guess we're gonna find out. Uh, that's even that's so God, like basketball is but like we're gonna find out, man. Yes, we got the Warriors as depleted as they've been in five years. 
for four months, they're going to be without Clay Thompson. It's going to be Steph and D'Angelo Russell, who's new to that team. Right. And it's going to be Draymond, and that's it. And D'Angelo's got to learn the warrior way. I was, uh, I think we talked about this. I was very bullish on D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. I thought there should have been a lot of teams looking at him. And I think it speaks volumes that Golden State said, yeah, yeah. thanks. You know, one of the best cultures in all of professional sports. Yeah, we'll take the young stud. But the six five guy who can pull up and from anywhere on the floor. Yes, we would love him on our team. But he does need to learn how to fit in and all those kinds of things. Um, and it is so interesting, too, that there's a reestablishing of their personality now that KD is gone, right? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I think in my head I'd kind of gone, okay, their time is done. Nah, that's probably a fool's statement to make. Yeah. I, the other day I wrote off San Antonio, and then I was like, why did I just do that? That's the dumbest thing you can do. You know, I did this uh, this podcast called the, it's the NBA Pod. It's these guys, Brian Toporek and uh, Morton Morton Jensen, who lives in uh, Denmark. He's one of my guys. They're they're great people, and it was a Southwest Division preview. And the Spurs were the last team. And they were like, do you think the Spurs are going to make the playoffs this year? And I was like, well, I think it's going to come to an end this season because... And then I started telling them the reasons why I don't think they're going to make it. And uh-huh. they're kind of like also reasons why they would. Like, uh-huh. they have a young, athletic, dynamic backcourt that yep. can defend every position. And they have DeMar DeRozan and Aldridge, who are both all-stars. And wait a minute, they're going to win 47 games again, aren't they? We did a pod about exactly this time a year ago where I rode off San Antonio. Dude, we both did. Yeah. I said, who's going to score for them? Right. Guess what? Guess who freaking scored? Derek White. <laughs> Derek White shut down Luka on national TV and averaged 20 a game in the playoffs. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's, it's unbelievable. A, that's a basketball factory yeah, down we, there. We got to talk about sports more often, man. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's that's quick NBA preview. Uh, Mavs Media Day, though, happened on Monday. Uh, and uh, there, there were a lot of things that came out of that. I don't know how people followed along. We had the live stream on Mavs.com mm-hmm. all day that day. With Coop and Falwell, we got to talk to a lot of those players. Uh, a ton of players went to the podium. Rick went to the podium. He was on there for 30 minutes. How about that? Yeah, answering a lot of questions. So you could follow along on Twitter. You could follow along on Mavs.com, anywhere, wherever you consume your NBA content. There was a ton of it. Uh, and we're going to try and get into that a little bit. But first, I have a couple things that I need to say. Okay. Have to say. Yep. Uh, I am obligated by my boss, Mike Marshall, to uh, promote open practice this oh, Sunday. Yes, this I'm Sunday going. at American Airlines Center, open practice. That is October 6th. Uh, doors are at 1130. Free entrance, mm-hmm. free to park. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe $5 gets you like a hot dog and a drink, which That's great. at sports events is uh, pretty unheard of these days, unfortunately. And dude, what about getting in and out and enjoying all of your Mavericks before Cowboys kickoff? Yes, so doors are at 1130. Practice is at 1, and it goes until I think about like 2, and Cowboys are at 3.30. Yep. So if, if you're trying to get your sports on, make it a full day, man. Absolutely. Don't, who cares about noon football games? None of them matter. Come to the uh, American Airlines Center. Watch Luca and KP. You can tell your friends you were the first person to see them. You can also tell your friends you were the first person to see what's going on with the new court. Uh, in addition to the new uh, colors and the skyline and stuff, we got a nice silhouette that's going to be in each corner of the court that you can see before anybody else, too. I'll be so, there, homie. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Uh, it is going to be awesome. So come out there. And then uh, next, podcasts. We had Jalen Brunson on Ceiling is the Roof last week. It was great. I saw uh, that. Definitely subscribe to that on uh, iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and also YouTube. I promised everybody that all of our podcasts would be on YouTube. They're not today because oh, uh, everyone in the video department is recording other stuff right now. Something about Tim Hardaway Jr. and his shoes 
you know, I'm like, who's more important, one of our players or me and Skip? I mean, come on, you know? it's us. Yeah, so I they chose Tim. I can't believe Tim. he didn't reschedule his thing. Yeah, unfortunately, they chose Tim over us, which is a, which is a shame. But He's a topic, by the way. He is, yeah, he definitely is. Um, really interesting quote from him on mm-hmm. Media Day, too, that we can mm-hmm. talk about. Uh, but that ceiling is the roof. Jalen Brunson. We also got Isaiah Roby. We got DeLon Wright. We got George Galanopoulos from the Texas Legends this summer. Uh, so check that out wherever you listen to podcasts or watch them on YouTube. And then also we're adding uh, we're adding a new podcast to the network, man. What is it? Uh, you've heard of the Forgotten Mavericks podcast, right? Absolutely. Yep. That's a great we're dude. We're bringing him. He's going to be part of the Mavs family. Hey, I, I, had, yeah. I did not know that, but I think he's an awesome dude. I've jumped on that podcast before, and yep. I really appreciate what he does. Yeah, dude, he's awesome. So if you're unfamiliar with the podcast, basically what he does, he, he brings in old uh, former Mavericks, basically. They're not all old. Right. They're in their prime, like right. Uskin. Um, but they, they were former Mavericks or Mavericks announcers, mm-hmm. broadcasters, employees, things like that. Um, generally guys who are on the team for like two years or less right. uh, who you may not remember. Yes. Uh, guys like, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think Morningstar. of some of his greatest, yeah, I'm trying to think of some of his greatest hits. I got to pull it up on YouTube. But He had uh, Kurt Nymphius on. He did have Kurt Nymphius on. Uh, he had Josh Howard on and Marquise Daniels. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had Daryl Armstrong on. I mean, he's had just a lot of, a lot of guys who have been through here. My favorite um, thing is that he has a real keen affinity for the 90s teams that struggled. Yeah. And so he He's in a lot of ways. He's giving them their due as well. Because yeah, if sure. you're if you're old like me, you've been a Maverick fan through all of that. And I know you, even though you're younger than me, were a Maverick fan through all of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's uh, I think it's a really cool thing that he does. Yeah, it's awesome. So we're bringing him in under our umbrella. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to talk to uh, some of the guys that we have still on staff now, guys like Rolando Blackman, Seth Zavalos. Oh, dude, Uh, if he hasn't interviewed Roe yet, he's in for an intense experience. It is awesome. Talking to Roe is the most intensely awesome thing ever. He is the greatest. I talked to him this morning, actually. Did you really? Yeah, he was talking with someone else, and then I was like, Roe, what's up? And he came over to me, and he started talking about Luke and Porzingis, and I was like, yes! And he got right in your face, and he stared you right in your eyes, and he put both hands on your shoulders as he talked to you, because... He means what he says, yep. and he says what he means, and it's real and awesome. He is the best. He's that awesome. confidence, baby confidence, was not just because the cameras were on him. No, he's a he confident is, man. He is the best. Yeah. So uh, that's all the housekeeping that I got for you. Open that's practice, good. new podcast. We're doing a lot of Mavericks things. Hey, can I throw something out there right quick? Oh, yeah. I'm continuing on, uh, continuing on with the Radios and Tunnels podcast, and if you are a rap fan, I recently had – Sophia Chang on there. She's got a new memoir called The Baddest Bitch in the Room because hey. she is. Uh, and the Wu-Tang Clan's coming in town Friday night, so oh. it's good timing. If you're a fan of the Wu, you're going to go to the show. Go check that out. I think you'll like it. And then I also did Where a... Can, uh, that's on iTunes and everywhere. Yes. Everywhere you and I, I did one with local comedian Paul Varghese about Dave Chappelle, and you guys were nice enough to let us record it here. Yeah. Uh, so it has math ties. Paul Varghese uh, was once hired to play Dirk's birthday party by Dirk's wife, Jess. Really? Yeah, it was like, I think it was, I can't remember which, it was the birthday right after the championship. Did he kill a set? Uh, he killed his set, but he's got a really funny story about like some of the people there not understanding, and he had this real long conversation with Holger about how to do comedy, <laughs> which I think in itself is amazingly funny. Yeah. So Paul is a uh, local treasure. So if you're into some of those kinds of things, radios and tunnels. Check that out. The yes. ones I've heard have been awesome. Thank the you. ones I've heard have been absolutely awesome. Thank you, Bobberto. Oh, absolutely. You already knew that, though, Skip. Ah, hell. Because you're awesome. Ah, oh, hell. What uh, are we doing here? <laughs> so, Media Day, as promised, this is a Mavs podcast. Let's talk some Mavs basketball. Okay. So, um, I guess start from the top. KP, 
Yes, you know that guy, Unicorn, seven foot three. Although he's actually seven foot two and three uh, quarters, something like that. Yeah. Yep. Or no, that's Luca. KP's seven two and a half. With they they won't round up. Okay. So he's seven two now. Okay. Boban is actually seven three. So he wins the he wins the height wars. He's the tallest guy in the league now. He is. Yeah. Uh, except for Taco Fall, if he makes oh, the roster. Oh yeah. Okay. If he, if he makes the roster, right. I think he's like kind of on the fringe right now. But. Uh, I am very relieved that they measured all of these guys without shoes because, as we all know, basketball is a sport played barefoot. Absolutely. So it is good to have that information publicly available. But anyway, KP, like I said, he came out, and obviously he's excited to get back. He was smiling the whole day, which was very – it warmed my heart. He's had fun at practice, man. That guy is ready to play basketball. But uh, he said that he wanted to come back, that he could have come back, uh, but that, you know, like you said, cooler heads prevailed. But – I mean, you saw him, I'm sure, on the practice court throughout the year. You saw him before games last season, mm-hmm. over the summer. Mm-hmm. I've seen him a little bit now that, you know, camp has opened up and we're able to get in there and watch them play, and that guy looks like he's going to be a bona fide killer this year. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of different things to talk about with him, but I want to give uh, two quick little uh, Media Day nuggets about him. Okay. Okay. Number one, so Media Day began at, what, 11 o'clock? Uh, 11.30, but they were early. Okay. And they were early yesterday at practice, too. This team is prompt. Okay, so by the time that I got here because of the daily radio show, I didn't get here till about 2.30. So he had already been fiddle-farting around for three hours. Okay? Now, you take any person from any walk of life, and then you uh, stick them in this thing that they have to do for hours that has nothing to do with what they want to do. Patience will wane, right? So by the time I showed up, I didn't see KP until about 2.45-ish. And he came out of an interview room, and he was all smiles and tons of energy. And he turned and he goes, hey, how you doing? And, and was so energetic and so full of life. And I know a lot of people can go, I don't get it. What's the big deal about that? The big deal about that is this is not something that they want to do. Media Day is not something that they look forward to. Let me give you the polar opposite of that. I was at Media Day this is about seven years ago. God, has it been seven years now? And uh, there's, you know, they're stationed all throughout the, the event level of the AAC, and I see someone way down the hall. I was like, oh, man, that's Lamar Odom. I'm going to go talk to him. <laughs> nice. So I went up to Lamar Odom, and Gink Club's like, why is he sitting in a doorway? And he was hunched over, sitting in a doorway, and just visibly depressed. Mm-hmm. And had nothing to say and was moping. And I was like, well, this is a bad sign. (laughs) Um, So you can tell a lot, actually, from Media Day. And so that set the tone for what was a car crash dumpster fire. Whereas KP is so obviously chomping at the bit. Or I don't know, is it champing at the bit? It's chomping. He couldn't wait to just be a part of this. He even said that. He told that to follow on Coop. He was like, normally I hate media day. It's like one of my least favorite days of the year because there's nothing but interviews. It's the same questions for like eight hours straight. He couldn't wait to answer these dumb yeah, questions. Yeah, I know, dude. He was so excited. He was so and, excited. And, and so that's why like the people, what are these little anecdotes? I don't care. No, this is why it matters. And you will see it. If you come to this open practice on Sunday, you will see the joy that is emanating, there is a youthful joy emanating from this team that we haven't had in a long time. He's 24 years old. Hey, baby. And he's been without basketball for, what, a year and a half, two yeah. years? Yep. That's like, that's a, 
Two years is a long time to a 24-year-old. Hell yeah. Like, that is an eternity. Dude, it's one-twelfth of their life, Bob. Uh, exactly. And it, it's not <laughs> like he was in the NBA for many years before he yeah. missed all that time, too. So, I mean, it's been a long time since right. he's been out on the floor, and he's ready to go. And it helps that he's got one of his best European friends, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure he and Luca were like bros before the trade or anything. They're bros now. They bro. are bros now. Yeah. And they got Boban. And uh, KP even said this, like, it's a very kind of European-friendly atmosphere here because mm-hmm. they're all, you know, the, the Mavs are very open to, like, it's a, it's kind of a family thing. This I don't is, know. This it's is like, why yeah. it was so important, uh, I hope everybody understands this, to have JJ come back. And when he's on the floor, he's on the floor. When he's on the floor, whatever. But he is in a real interesting glue because a lot of these guys, no matter where they're from, end up speaking Spanish. Yeah. So not only is JJ the veteran head that they all like, and he's bonded with all of these guys. Uh, just a quick aside: when JJ's future was in doubt, uh, and you know, it's like, oh my God, this is a horrible injury for a guy in his mid thirties to have and contract here, and there's like all this sadness. One of his buddies was like. Man, he could not wait to be here with Luca, and 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 you know help Luca usher in the new era of the Mavs. So the fact that he's back here and things look good for him, those things matter. If you if you follow the Texas Rangers, uh, and this is for me, this is about Boban. If you follow the Rangers, one of the great things happened with the Rangers this year was Hunter Pence mm-hmm. because he's genuinely. Uh, enthusiastic and easy to get along with and fun to be around, and he picks everybody up. And Rick was talking about that. Boban has that aspect of his personality. There's a lot of different intangible things with the mix of these guys that is very, very favorable. Yeah, and it's good, too, that that Luke and KP obviously like each other, but just because they're really good doesn't mean they're going to make the playoffs this year, right? Of course. They might lose four games in a row in December, and it's going to be real, real lame, and it's going to suck, and basketball's yeah. not going to be fun. But you got J.J., the vet, that can talk to you in whatever language you want to talk to him in. You mm-hmm. got Boban, who's been there, done that, and he's just the, the, just the sweetest guy ever. So like, I mean, there's just a lot of, like, I don't know, positive sort of, like Justin Jackson, Dwight Powell, Jalen Brunson, these guys are all just like really smart, sort of just like upbeat guys that are just, they're having fun. They're just good to talk to. I mean, I don't know. There's just like, a, it's a different, it's a whole different thing. I Can don't you know. believe a, that Dwight Powell is like the veteran head? I think he yeah. is. He the second longest tenured second man longest tenured behind, behind JJ. Yep. Things have changed. Yep. And JJ only beat him here by like a month or something. Yeah. I mean, God, Dwight, that's insane. Yeah. And Dwight is now at age 28 or 29, however old he is. He's like the sixth or seventh oldest person on the team, too. So awesome. There's only three guys on this team that were born in the 80s. Wow. I mean, the joke is you take Dirk off the roster and Devin, too, and the average age drops (laughs) like three years. But, I mean, they literally are replacing these guys with guys who are like 21, 22 years old. Yeah, yeah. And Luke is still the youngest guy on the team, too, which is pretty funny. That is awesome. Uh, There's a good chance next year they'll have someone on the roster born in 2000, which is going to really upset me. But It's not going to make any sense. Yeah, but uh, they do. There's just a lot of positivity right now. And every team around the league, we have to say this, every team around the league thinks they're going to win the championship. Sure. This is the best shape I've ever been in. I've never had more fun playing. I can't wait to get out there. But with these guys, because of Luka winning championships for his entire life and then coming here and just losing a lot as a rookie, and because J.J. tore his Achilles and – Maybe retirement crosses his mind, but he's actually healthy and he's ready to play. Mm-hmm. And because KP's missed two years, he's ready to play. Like, there's just so much, like, there's like a, 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 a 
avalanche of goodness and happiness that's just rolling through this place right now. Do you want to talk? We could say it for another pod. Do you want to get into the Tim Hardaway Jr. stuff? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Let's talk about he that kind right of now. fits yeah. into that too. So yeah, sure. he, he had the stress fracture issue last year, stress reaction or whatever they t- deemed it. It cost him what, a month and a half to right. end a year basically. And he's uh, 100% back. But you know what's interesting is this conversation I've been having with people, it's interesting to me at least, is people say, who's the third best Maverick? And what does that actually mean? We can talk about their role, their import. But for a lot of people, they generally mean, all right, who's the third scoring option? And so in the NBA, it's like, who can I give the ball to and he can get buckets? And if you look at the way this team is structured, like Dwight Powell is going to be hugely important, but he's reliant upon the function of the offense. I think to some degree Seth Curry is. You can put the ball in Seth's hands too, but Seth is better playing off of guys and spacing and some of those things. DeLon Wright can create, but he's also very adept. I think I saw the stats like the majority of his time in the NBA has actually been at two guard if you want to get into those percentages. Yeah, play with Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, those Right, guys. so there's a reason for that. So, But a guy who's just always been get buckets guy was Tim Hardaway Jr. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, as you start looking at, we've talked about lineups and all these things, people have just forgotten about Tim Hardaway Jr., who's a career 13 or 14-point-a-game scorer. Mm-hmm. And he's healthy. And he's a veteran, and he understands, at least from the things he was saying at, at Media Day, he understands his role. He's he's going to be an interesting player this year because I, I just think people have kind of written him off or not thought about him or whatever. Dude, he's got a specific function that's important on this team. I think we have we all kind of fall victim to the – judge guys too harshly based on the stats they put up when they play for the Knicks. You know, oh, man. and that's like a death sentence. Now Hardaway in, in his basically year and a half with New York after his season in Atlanta, his numbers were not very good. I mean, as far as like efficiency, right? right. He still gave you 17, 18 points a and game. And he brought up efficiency quite a bit yeah, on media day. He did, yeah. Uh, but he was what, 33, 34% in New York. Mm-hmm. And then he came here after the trade and again was like 34%, I think, from three here. But everyone gives Luca a pass for his numbers dropping after the trade. Why don't they give Hardaway a pass? Because Hardaway they, was also on that yeah, team. Because know. he has been uh, slotted. Yeah. And and we're all guilty of doing it. But, you know, I always look at, for a lot of this, I always look at, all right, what is the top ceiling? What's the aptitude? What's the ability? And then it's like, is that person willing to fit in or do what's asked of them? You know, a lot of these guys, Seth is like this. Uh, Jalen is like this. When Papa Bear has been around it the whole time or played in the league, and they, they grow up around it and they see they, they see it on a different level. And Tim is one of those guys. You know, he knows because, you know, his dad was in the league and played at a crazy high level. Yep. Um, so he understands where he fits into the league. He understands what's good and what's bad. He knows what his abilities are. I think he's in a really unique position to surprise a lot of people. Um, and I think there's another thing I know that uh, – I don't know if you want to keep talking about him or move on, but you had brought up what Rick said about Dorian. Yeah. And the, the other day playing four and five. Mm-hmm. I actually think that that specifically relates to Tim Hardaway. I Jr. agree with you. I agree with you. I think that if basically kind of like connecting the dots a little bit. If Dorian is playing four, then that means that he's 
essentially coming off the bench to relieve KP, mm-hmm. which means that Maxi or Dwight, whichever one's of them ends up coming off the bench, is mm-hmm. going to be playing center. Mm-hmm. So you need someone to play small forward. Mm-hmm. And if Justin Jackson is starting and Luke right. is playing two or yeah. one or whatever you want to call it, right. then that means that Tim is probably going to be the guy. That's what I was thinking, too, because I see a lot of Jalen and Seth out there together. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then I JJ, think whenever he can play, absolutely, whenever he's ready to go. And I think, you know, there, it's not like uh, it's not like uh, the NFL where they rotate out, you know, entire lines or whatever hockey. But so there's obviously going to be times where Delon will be out there with whoever. But if you're just looking at basic subbing out, those are concepts that you can see materializing. And so even though Delon was a point guard in Memphis and was a point guard coming into the league, if you told me that Jalen had the ball and is the point, the second most on the team behind Luca. I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me it was JJ, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, you know, Rick likes to interchange these guys and do different things, but I just think if you're kind of like spreading pieces out on a, on a table and kind of matching things together, I think that's the reason, and I think you do too, why he was talking about Dorian as a four and a five. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I agree. Now, him playing five is going to be interesting, but like – Whenever Aminu was here, for example, sometimes Aminu would play in the second unit with Dirk, where Dirk was the tallest guy, but really, like, Aminu was kind of defending the rim. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that could come into play at all. Right. I, I obviously wouldn't with KP because he'll be defending the rim, but maybe with Luca at the four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, I guess, I don't know, Luca. So I'm trying to figure out the rotation that Rick is going to be putting. This is a very clumsy segue, but... Uh, Dirk, for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years, really would start the game and then come out with about like seven, six and a half, six minutes left to go mm-hmm. in the first quarter and then sit down for like five minutes, come in with like two or three minutes left in the first quarter and then just play almost for the rest of the half. Mm-hmm. Basically, he'd take like a minute or two off in the middle of the second quarter. And the reason he would do that is because he'd come in and just pummel backups. Right. And he'd link up with JJ and they'd make yep. some beautiful music together and they would just destroy bench players. And so I'm wondering... I was trying to think, well, who's more likely to be that guy? Also, it helps your, you keep a star on the floor with kind of your lesser players. Sure. No disrespect. Obviously. Somebody's got to generate offense. Exactly. And so if you're going to do that, who's more likely to leave the game early? And I think that that's probably Luca. Interesting. Because Luca with Jalen or Luca with Seth or Luca with JJ, I think is a much more potent kind of combination to destroy backups. Right. Whereas KP, you can lean on him for the rest of the first quarter until Luca comes back in. Then you sit him down, he gets some rest, comes in, finishes the half. So who would come in for Luca? you think? I would think it would be Tim Hardaway. Okay. Because right? I so, was sitting there thinking, is it Jalen? It could be. But, but you're right. You could move the ball over to DeLon. And yeah, and let DeLon kind of do some stuff. Maybe that's whenever KP, you start hunting for mismatches and he can work in the post. Or maybe just give it to Tim. Because last year, they kind of did that a little bit where Luca would leave and then Tim would – he would start the game. He would stay in the game as a starter and be the offense mm-hmm. basically for a couple of minutes while Luca was getting his rest because by then he's attacking starters who were tired and then those starters check out and then he's attacking backups. Mm-hmm. And that's like the prime time for him to go to work, I think. Right. So I wonder if he doesn't start, which he might not. He might start. I don't know. He might start instead of uh, Jackson or Finney Smith or any of those guys. But if he comes off the bench and comes in at that time in the game, like six to seven minutes left to go in the first quarter – then he can basically be the guy for like eight or ten minutes in a row. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And just get all of his shots up, do that 
you know, once in the first half, once in the second half, that's already 20 minutes. Again. And I just don't think anybody was talking about that three or four weeks ago. No, I don't think so at all. Uh, but I think it's very evident that that is a very, very useful aspect of this team that people have sort of underestimated or forgotten about. Or And a lot of it has to do that he got hurt and didn't play a lot of games here. Just like, yep. you know, uh, you know, I know here we're all very aware of what Porzingis and – and Luca will do together. I think. It's, I don't think people are aware. Do you think not off, even here? Because I've been saying that. One of the things I've been saying on the Ben and Skin show is, I know you guys are tired of me saying this, but y'all don't realize what's about to happen. Yeah, I don't think people understand. Like Porzingis might take ten threes a game. Like, I, who is who's going to lead this team in scoring? It. I don't know. Probably, I think it's probably Porzingis. Porzingis. I yeah, think so. Probably too. Porzingis. As, as long as league, he can play the minutes. I mean, if, yeah. assuming he can play 30, 30 I think he can. Minutes. In a league where, uh, you know, the ball handler is really leading your team in scoring and he's getting a bunch of assists and that's why we're in the era of, hey, everybody had a triple-double tonight. Yeah. Um, I still think even though Luka's going to be that quote-unquote James Harden or type or whatever, I still think Porzingis is going to get the most points because I think Luka loves to pass and I just think there's just too much advantage – when you're on the floor of him get, dude. Here, the other thing too, you stick Porzingis like the way uh, the Bucks do Brook Lopez. You stick, which I'm not minimizing Porzingis, but you stick him out on a three I mean, point. Lopez made an All Star team last year. Yeah, because it came close basically. You put Porzingis out there, you're playing four on four. Yeah. You think any big player in the league is going to leave him? That is a death sentence. You know how many guys got benched for the way they guarded Dirk or didn't guard Dirk? Oh, like, lots. No one's making that mistake. No one's making – and, and he can actually stand a little further out. How are you going to close out on 7, 2.5, 40% from three? And if you're guarding him with your power forward, probably going to be like six eight six nine. Mm-hmm. there's a picture of them playing pickup the other day and Dwight's trying to contest KP's yes, jump I shot and is not even – not even coming cl- – he's two feet away from the ball, and he's Dude, like as high up as he can be, basically. That picture, he's not even getting his hand in the sight line. No. It's, it's, the chance of contesting the shot is zero. Yeah. He can't even get his hand in the sight line. This is – And if you're standing 28, 30 feet away, now this is out in the open now, so we can finally talk about it, but basically the Mavs have like two more three-point arcs uh, on the court. They have the regular one, like the NBA length one, where the mm-hmm. top of the key, I think, is like 25 and a half or 26 feet. Mm-hmm. And then they have about two feet back, they have another three-point arc yep. that goes all the way around. And then a, another foot or so back from that, they have another three-point arc. Do you remember around. Cuban so, talking about this? I guess it was maybe a year and a half ago where he was talking about, we practice further outside three-point shots. Yep. And it just goes back to that Rick phrase, the geometry of the game. You know, uh, it's so funny, the conversation's probably five or six years ago, where we've got to make the court bigger. Dude, it wouldn't be fair if you made the court no, bigger No, it wouldn't now. at all. It, it, wouldn't would, at all. it would ruin the game. Yeah. It, guys I mean, if, depending on who you ask, the three-point shot is already ruining the game. Well, but. those people need to go back to the 50s. Yeah. Um, Take that pop. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, the whole point is that you can't make the court bigger. It would be unfair to the offense. Yeah. Or, no, to the defense. To make the court bigger? I think it would be unfair to the – how, how – like – how are teams supposed to defend Porzingis if he's standing 30 feet from the rim? Like, well, no, you got to guard him, which means that Luca has an extra 50 square feet of court to work with. Uh, I think it would be unfair to everybody to make the court bigger. Okay, okay. I just think the defense can't defend the other team if the court's bigger. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's unfair to the defense. To, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. with you. We're Sorry. talking the same language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. I mean, it is unfair to the offense because it means you got to run a lot more. Yeah. But, like, dude. Porzingis could stand 30 feet from the rim, and Luka will just get layup, layup, layup. Yeah, layup, yeah, yeah. Layup. But I think, like, 
I don't know, we tried to play this game last year, like guessing people's stats and stuff, and I was way off on Luca because I said like 16, 5, and 5 or something. I thought Dennis would lead the team in scoring. Yeah, yeah. and that Nailed it! <laughs> yeah, that, one for one, baby. Yeah. Uh, Luca might average like 12 or 13 assists a game. Yeah. And that's I just, think his assist numbers go way that's up. That's just to Dwight and to Porzingis. Like can, can Now if it. Seth Curry and Justin and these guys can make some threes, then all of a sudden he's going to have – he could have like 20 assist games. All right, let's do this. Let's do uh, triple double over under. Okay, uh, I'm gonna set the triple he had double. What, eight or nine last year. I'm gonna set the triple double over under for Luca at eighteen. What are you taking? Is it eighteen or eighteen and a half? I'll do eighteen and a half. Makes it more fun. So he's basically got to double it this year. Yeah. You know what? I'm going over. I think I am too. Ooh. And you know what? As we say this, you can't see this because we're not sticking this on YouTube. We are both wearing Luca jerseys. Yeah, we are. We Amazing. are. Amazing. Actually, yeah, we wearing are wearing red Nikes. Uh, Who's he signing with? Do we know that yet? Uh, he's a free agent. He's a free agent right now. Yeah, that is that is the official yeah, okay. that's the official thing. Uh, yeah, dude. I, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to think that he's going to go over because think of how many times he was so close last year, but the game got out of hand, and so he sat down. You know, they're going to be competitive that, now, and yeah. instead of seven assist games where guys clank ten open threes, it's going to be like eleven assist games. Yeah. So, I think it's I, I, now the rebounds. I guess he could have. Kind of an issue just He's because. He's going to get every rebound. Maybe, but like DeLon is a good rebounder. Yeah. And Porzingis is going to get some. And yeah. Dwight, Dwight is beefed up. I mean, he's ready to ride. Justin Jackson looks like a, you know, Justin, he added 20 pounds. Yeah, that's right. And it kind of does show on him. Mm-hmm. It kind of does show. He's wiry. Yeah. But one last thing about Tim Hardaway. Uh, just because a guy shoots, like it was kind of a joke, obviously, about the Knicks. But like just because a guy shoots 34% from three for two years for a bad team, like is he really – trash like is that what I, I don't like using that word to describe players in it's general, so anyway. ridiculous they're so good these are the top 500 players in the world right you're not top 500 at anything in the world you at home uh you have no right to call anybody trash like no. that's 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 dehumanizing garbage basically dude if your main but, form of getting yourself out in the world is your social media platform you don't have the right to call anybody trash yeah, what are you no, doing not at all not at all you got cheetos fingers stop <laughs> yeah, it maybe they meant to type something else but the the right. stains hit the that's probably from. true but uh anyway the difference between 34 percent and 36 percent on threes is basically like one extra made three per month so what you're really talking about here is like a time that a shot rims out uh, if it goes in this year, then all of a sudden he's league average, and mm-hmm. then your trash take is trash. Right. So, like, just shut up and just watch him play. Just, like, so, let it happen. He's never played – just like Luca's never played with a guy like KP. KP's never played with a guy like Luca. Mm-hmm. Tim Hardaway's never played with a guy like Luca either. Right. Like, his point guard in New York was freaking Jarrett Jack. Yeah. And he had hurt Porzingis for a couple of years. So, yeah. like, don't – you can't – miss me with all the judgment. Miss me with all that criticism. Like, just let it – let it play out, for God's sake – Let's see what the guy can do. I, I pencil him in as like a, a bum. As we sit next to this Wesley Matthews signed ball, oh, that hey, signature Wes. looks nothing like Wes. People did the same thing with Wes, man. He shot 40% from three last year. People are like, he sucks. What more do you want from the guy? <laughs> no, man. What more do you want? He can shoot. Hardaway doesn't shoot. You know he's what? trash. Wes can't shoot, and he's trash too. Everyone just hates everything. Yeah, we love to hate. Yeah, and, and also people start throwing in contracts in there, and then, yeah. you know. Whatever, man, man, I can't believe that this guy agreed to let a team pay him so much money. What a bad person. <laughs> right. That's all his fault. Right. Come on. Uh, I, I'm with you, though. I think I think Hardaway is the unsung story uh, going into the And maybe maybe because Mavs fans aren't as familiar with DeLon, right? Maybe. But I think there's 
an expectation of what his role is going to be. I think people maybe I think people probably understand the Delon Wright situation better than the Tim Hardaway Jr. Yeah, I mean I I agree. Uh, people know what Delon could do, slasher and defender. But with Tim, you know, this team is so on a more serious note. This team is very 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 much in need of a wing who can give you some points. Yep. Last year, I forget what the stat is, but other than guys named Harrison Barnes, no Mavericks player scored more than 20 points eight times. Obviously, Luka is one of them, too. Right. So, Luka and Barnes were your scorers. Well, you traded Barnes. So, obviously, Luka and Porzingis are going to give you some points, but where else are you going to get some scoring? Mm-hmm. I think Hardaway is probably the best candidate for that. They really, really, really need someone that can reliably give them, like, 12 points. Yeah, I mean, they want to get stuff out of their system, but, you know, this isn't uh, college basketball. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? It's a grown man's league where grown men go do grown men things. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, okay, so we kind of talked about – one of the things I had down was um, – Coop and Follow were talking on the stream the other day, and all that stuff is going to be on our YouTube channel soon as well. But they were talking about – how, you know, this is the first year post-Dirk, and more, I guess, like in philosophical terms, they were saying this is Luka and KP's chance to put their stamp on this team and on this organization and all that stuff. And very clearly they were saying, like, the culture and things like that. But then I got started to think, like, so much of how the Mavericks have played for the last 21 years really is based on Dirk's skill set, right? Like, Mm -hmm. everything that they do revolves around this one guy and his singular ability to attack mismatches, all that stuff. But now you got two of those guys who are singular talents, kind mm-hmm. of. So what I'm wondering is, you know, in more specific basketball terms, what does that stamp look like? I mean, we've talked about what Luke can do and what Porzingis can do and a little bit about what they can do together. But what will Mavericks basketball – what is their identity going to be? What will it actually look like come opening night in terms of pace and shot selection and style and, and all of this stuff, like what is it actually going to look like? I think um, two things jump out of me. Number one, the reemergence of a phrase that we used a lot 10 years ago. And I say this because KP was saying it a lot on media day and that's he, he was saying two man game. Yeah. We used to talk about that all the time and it was a big part of the vernacular around here. Um, but I also think, I don't mean this in some sort of generic way, but I think if you just go pull up any sort of random, uh, you know, Eurobasket game and just, wa- like, even if you don't know any of the people involved and watch the style of play, that's where we're headed. That's where this team is headed. I, I just think there's going to be even way more three-point shooting. Mm. Uh, I mean, Rick was emphasizing that the other day. So I think it's, I think if you're just, like, walking in and you're watching it, I think the – the amount of movement and space will be noticeable. It'll jump out at you because I think you have to, it was so huge getting Seth. So huge getting Seth because if you put him on the opposite side of where your primary action is, he just can't cover all It'll that ground. You. Yeah. So, and, and the other thing too, we, I know we talked about this last year and this is special. James Harden does this really well. The ability to make an on time on target cross court pass. Mm. Because if you have a guy like Luca that can find that person and not only find them but put it in their shot pocket to where they just catch and deliver, that is so huge in modern NBA. So, so it's always been important, but extra huge now um, because of the size of the defenders and their ability to rotate and recover and all those things, sell out, rotate, help your guy out. Um, so that's a huge weapon. Just space because of the concentration on those two guys. So starts with the two-man game, 
The defense focuses on that, and then there's all these other opportunities. I like that you mentioned this when uh, we signed him. DeLon was talking about his ability to play off the ball and cut. Mm. That's a huge weapon, yep. a huge asset. Get to the basket without be- turning it over. Because what happens is, is his defender is going to be turning his head a lot. And so how do you take it? Sean Marion was so good at taking oh, yeah. advantage of that. So good. DeLon is aware and knows that this is where I can get some buckets. So I think, I think those things all factor into this. I think that we're going into a situation where Luca will no longer – be facing two defenders when he comes off a screen. Right, you can't. He is always going to be playing basically one on one or two on two. Mm-hmm. And if you can imagine all of the incredible things that he was able to do last year, whenever he had two guys in his face, just think of what he'll be able to do now that he only has one. And with that comes fewer turnovers, right. which means more shots, which means more points. That alone, if they can just cut their turnovers down by like ten or twenty percent, then they're going to score. Another two or three points per game. Easy. Our, our defense is going to be so audacious that they're going to stun on a strong side with Luca. Dude, you can't do that. You can't. You, you can't burn him. You can't blitz him. You can't trap him. You can't ice him. You can't do anything because Porzingis is so good. Yeah, he shot. I have his number written down somewhere. Porzingis last year, the Mavericks as a team averaged one point one three points per spot up shot, basically. Okay. Uh, last season, and they were. League average. I mean, they were actually slightly above league average because it factors in the entire year. Whenever guys like Barnes and West, who everyone hated, but they were actually really good three-point shooters, were on the team, they finished 13th in spot-up efficiency last year. Interesting. So with, with no shooters, right at league average, basically. <laughs> now, after the trade, that went way down. Right, it, it did go down. But obviously, right. you upgrade with Porzingis, you upgrade with Curry. Porzingis says last year in New York, whenever many of his spot-up shots were actually two-pointers and not three-pointers, averaged 1.17. So he himself was like a top 10 team in mm-hmm. spot-up shooting uh, during his last season in New York where he was playing with Jarrett Jack and Carmelo Anthony. In fact, I'm not even sure Carmelo was on that team. I think he might have been on the Thunder that year. Carmelo wasn't on that team. Two he years was playing ago. with Jarrett Jack. Yeah. He was playing with Hardaway. And he was playing with, uh, I believe, uh, Ennis Cantor was mm-hmm. playing center. And Porzingis was coming off a lot of screens to shoot 18-footers. So uh, that's another thing I'm thinking about, too. I mean, we're talking about the two-man game and assuming Porzingis sets a lot of screens for Luka. But, I mean, you're going to do a lot of Dwight setting those screens and yeah. spacing with Porzingis because, I mean, who, how are they going to tag? Like, if, if, you're, if you have Porzingis spaced way out and you're over here and you're doing, even if it's like a, you know, sideline pick and roll, who's going to tag a rolling Dwight Powell? Because you're going to be leaving open shooters or just leaving Luka or is someone going to leave Porzingis because they can't, re- you can't recover. Yeah, Dwight is the best lob target in the game. I mean, so two years about, in a row. Think about if Justin Jackson is, let's say he's starting with this group and he's a very proficient Three-point shoot. Just say average, 36%. And he's in that opposite Fine. corner. It, it, the short porch, is his defender really going to leave him? You, you can't, uh, you're trained now not to do that. Right. Defenders so, are coached to stay with your man in the okay, corner. Okay, so who's tagging Dwight Powell on this easy roll to the basket? Nobody. Nobody. And, who, like, Luca's not missing that pass. No. He never misses that pass. No. And he's going to be one-on-one again. I mean, We're last creating year, problems for teams. Yeah, last year teams were so, I guess – not concerned with Powell, or they were not concerned with the shooters in the corner, so they would abandon them because it was a guy who was only shooting maybe in the 20s or the 30s from three. They'd tag down on Dwight. Luke would have two in his face, and he'd have to make a very difficult pass. Many times it went out of bounds. But this year, if it's Dwight setting the screen and he's rolling, you're only going to have one on Luca. Porzingis' man ain't leaving him, 
And if you do have two on Luca, then Powell's going to be all alone. This is why Justin is so important. And Curry. Uh, and yeah, Tim and Curry. Hardaway. And, yeah, all, and, you need, and you need these guys to just be good enough. To be good enough. You don't need them to be 50% shooters. You don't need them to even be 40% shooters. Right. If they can all just be high 30s. Yep. And you know Seth will be higher than that. He's a career, what, 43% shooter? Right. And he's never played in as much space as he's about to play in. Nope. Ever. Not even close. Nope. Uh, and then what also happens if you have Porzingis setting a screen for DeLon? Right. Like, DeLon's man can go under the screen, I guess. That doesn't make a lot of sense because DeLon is so fast and that he's working on these pull-up threes basically with Sham where, like, he will fake, like kind of, like, act out like he's coming off a screen. Defender goes way down. He takes a step back and shoots the three. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the move that he's working on a lot right now. Uh, he is limited a little bit with a hamstring injury, but it's just like a kind of like a pulled hamstring basically that happened a week ago, and uh, he'll be back. I, I would imagine he'll be playing, like, regular minutes in the preseason. But Offense is not a problem. No, not a problem at all. And I think the other thing that's going to change with them, in addition to threes, is just much faster, more transition, mm-hmm. get the ball and go. If DeLon gets a rebound, he's bye-bye. He's, Guards he's at going. rebound. Yeah, he's going. And if, if you remember from Seth, whenever he was here, in transition, you know, he wouldn't have the ball. He'd flank the, corner, or the, the court and just, like, run – directly to the corner, mm-hmm. and to spot up. And he got a lot of spot-up threes that way, too. Because the so, defense doesn't want to give up open layup, so a lot of times they'll right, forget right. All right, well. And that year, you know, that, that was 2016-17. I mean, they didn't necessarily have, like, a, a, a burning team that year. They played pretty slow. I mean, that was, like, Bogut and Dirk and Barnes at the three and Wes at the two. Curry came in and kind of, like, changed it up a little bit. But you had D-Will, and then you had Yogi. And that's whenever Seth really became a little more dynamic because he mm-hmm. had Yogi because he could kind of push the tempo a little bit. Right, right. When you have DeLon and Luka doing that all the time now, then he's just going to feast off all that oh, stuff. So great. Yeah, they're they're going to be really good. I mean, I guess the question for them is about defense more than offense. But uh, that's why Justin Jackson puts on weight. That's why Porzingis is putting on weight so that they can play fast on offense and also guard up positions mm-hmm. on defense, basically. Justin can guard fours now. I mean, Dorian yeah. can guard fives. Like, these, these guys are, are working toward that goal. I think uh, this staff believes that Justin is a more than adequate defender. Dorian is obviously one of their best defenders. So, you, we, get, we had this conversation last year, right? It's like, yep. is Dorian going to hit three-pointers enough to justify him being out there versus the guy who's hitting the three-pointers? Is he going to defend well enough? Mm. Those are the decisions that, that can be made. Ideally, they're one guy. Right. But, but, but I, I, you know, just talking to people, they believe that Justin is a more than adequate defender out in space, mm. like on the perimeter. Yeah. Um, and, he, and that's where you can use your length to your advantage. And if he can, you know, Finney Smith, and he and Finney Smith are kind of built almost the same way, very, like, thin, wiry. Mm-hmm. But if Justin can add that weight and, like, maintain that weight, which is tough to do during the season. Right. But if he can, then he can defend – two through four, you got DeLon who can defend basically one through three, all of a sudden you're starting to see like this versatility come into play with Luca to where he can always guard the least desirable offensive option on the right, other team right, to right. kind of protect him a little bit. Now, they need him to take a step forward too. But, uh, but yeah, um, man, they're going to be playing some good offense this year. Uh, one more thing I just want to put into numbers perspective. Rick is talking about threes. Okay. They want to take more threes this year. Last year they took a my computer is touchscreen now. Really? Holy crap! That's baller. Uh, I, they're I only got, so I took out a media day that they're only going to take threes. They're this only year. yeah at, at least ninety nine percent of their shots are going right? to be. Last year they took thirty six a game, which is a franchise record. They've set the franchise record I think six years in a row. Um, I think they're going to average at least forty a game this year, uh, <laughs> which means to shoot forty percent. 
on 43s a game, you have to make 16 of them a game. Mm -hmm. That's almost 50 points just off threes. Awesome. And then you add in another 15, 20 free throws, then a couple layups, and all of a sudden you're at 100 easy. Yep. Uh, the reason people who bemoan three-point shots, the reason they're doing that is because last year the Blazers, number two in the NBA mm -hmm. in mid-range shooting percentage, averaged .87 points per mid-range shot, which is elite. Yeah. That is – in most years, that leads the league. Last year, it was only number two because the Warriors have Steph, Clay, and KD, which is fake basketball. That's yeah. not re that, but that you have exist similar anymore. kind of guy. You understand like why those guys are getting those points because you're so desperately trying to run them off three, and then they go to that safe area. McCollum has that buttery pull up. Oh, and so remember good. that game winner that he hit against Denver. I think that might have even been in Game Seven, where right afterward LeBron went on. Uh, Twitter and was like, everyone says mid-range is dead. It matters now. See, he, he hit these mid-range pull-up shots. It's a great shot. Well, okay, in that situation, if you need one shot to win a game, mathematics don't – well, I guess you're not, you're not thinking about long-term math as much as you're thinking about, like, one isolated event. Are you more likely to make a mid-range shot if you shoot them at 43% or a three-point shot if you hit them at 38%? Right. Obviously, mid-range. It's a tie game. You, you take points, points per possession yeah. out of the mix. Yeah. You just go to raw percentages. Yeah, because all I need is a point to win. So right. I'm going to take the highest odds at the point. But if you're going to be shooting, let's see, in the, in the NBA last season – Teams attempted 33,000 mid-range shots, and they attempted about uh, 78,000 three-point shots. Now, the league average of, uh, of mid-range... Can you give me that again? 33,000 yes. mid-range 33, and 78,000 threes? 33,000 mid-range shots, 78,000 three-point shots. That so they're taking incredible. Combined... I, don't, I can't even do that math. Combined, like, oh, man... 93s a game or not that's that's too high I, I can't do the math but they're taking about 40 mid-range shots per game combined right right essentially something somewhere in that neighborhood and then you have teams like the spurs that took a ton you have teams like the rockets that took barely any at all mm -hmm. so why does that matter to the mavs that blazers number 0.87 points per shot and they're taking let's see they took 1251 of them a game last year the blazers right at 15 a game okay the Mavericks last season, kind of uh, from, from three, they were okay. They finished about like slightly lower than middle of the pack in three-point shot. Uh -huh. basically, basically, I think bottom ten in three-point shooting. They averaged 1.03 points per three-point attempt. And they were not that good at threes. Mm -hmm. League average was 1.07. So they're right. Pretty close. Yeah. So if you can – what would you rather do here? If you're going to take 100 of these shots in a game – would you rather take 100 shots at an elite rate of 0.87 points per shot and mm -hmm. be the best mid-range team in the league, or would you rather take 100 threes and be average at it and average 1.07 points per shot? Well, a, I'll take the 100 points as opposed to the 87 yeah, points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, averaging, you're scoring 20 points more per game if you're just average yeah. at threes than you would be if you are incredible at mid-range shots. So right. that's what whenever you hear Rick on the podium say – the mid-range stuff really isn't very effective anymore. Yeah. Like, Porzingis' last year in New York, he averaged, like, 0.8 points per mid-range shot, which is fine. Mm -hmm. It's, like, average, maybe slightly above average. But he's taken, like, 12 of them a game. Right. He was taking four and a half threes, averaging 1.2 points per three attempt. 
why wouldn't you give him 10 threes yeah. versus five mid-range shots? Now, here's where it's like, uh, you know, we're talking in concept versus the rubber meets the road. How good are these teams? You and I had a really great conversation early in the year before the trade when it was DeAndre and everybody. And what a good job the Mavericks were doing to forcing teams into those mid-range shots. Yeah, that's what you want to do as right. defense. So you don't want to take a three-point shot uh, early in the clock while you're double-teamed. Right, you don't take three point shots just to take three point shots. That you want to work the ball to get good shots. Uh, but the, the whole point being is, can you create your offense to where you're creating good three point opportunities? That's why so many people talk about the corner three point shots because the percentages go up. Now let's do the math on all that. And so, a, an even better shot than a mid range shot is what are your percentages on uncontested layups? That's really high, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this you can see how all this works now. If you got a guy that can get all the rim, all the way to the rim and score easily, or a roll man that can flush, you'll do that all day long. That's a sure thing. That's a sure bet. Just like you'll do getting fouled and shooting free throws. That's that's a really good bet, right? However, the domino effect of all that is because you have to defend that because there's nothing more exhausting in basketball than giving up easy, uncontested layups. That creates three-point opportunities, and that's where you want to feast. That's why you need to overload your roster with playmakers. You've been hearing Rick Carlisle talk about this for years. I want as many playmakers as possible in the starting lineup. The Mavs were down 2-1 in the finals 10 years ago, almost, because they could not generate offense early or late in games because Mm -hmm. their starting lineup had one real playmaker, and Jason Kidd. Put in Bray, all of a sudden you can get to the basket, you can open things up for Dirk and all those guys. You have DeLon Wright, who's a slasher. You got Luca, who can come off screens and do anything. He can step into shots. He can drive the lane. He can pass. You get Porzingis, who is a walking mismatch, just like Dirk. And then you get Dwight Powell who, and Boban, who are both really, really good around the basket. I mean, both like 80% shooters inside of three feet. You know exactly what they're going to do on offense this year. Mm-hmm. They're going to shoot a ton of threes. Porzingis is going to set a ton of screens. Luca and DeLon are going to be passing it a lot to a lot of guys who are spotted up around the arc or to Dwight and Boban who are right at the rim. I mean, that is their offense. It's going to be 43s and probably like 30 layups and dunks and then 20 or 30 free throws. I mean, that is your Mavs basketball. There's going to be games this year where they don't even make a mid-range shot. <laughs> they might not even take one. Yeah. I mean, teams like Brooklyn and Houston have been doing that for years. If you're playing bad defensive teams. Yeah. Well, even the best defensive teams, that's why guys like DeLon are so important. And mm-hmm. J.J. getting him back and Jalen Brunson taking a step forward because your best defensive teams will be able to load up to maybe stop Luka or at least slow him down. Right. Now, will they be able to slow Luka down and slow Porzingis down? Maybe your elite, elite defensive teams can. But then can they do all that stuff while also making life tough on Brunson and Wright and all these guys? There aren't many or maybe any teams that can do that. Right. So that's why you need all of these guys to be consistent. That's why you need your shooters to be consistent because you don't want teams just leaving guys in the corner, slowing down your offense like you did when Rondo was here, where all of a sudden the Mavs went from a free-flowing machine setting records on offense to – it's being stalled out because they're always playing four and five. Dude, you can – so people just go, oh, man, you can't stop Kobe. Yeah, hey, you can. Put three guys on him. I guarantee you can yeah. stop him. You want to leave two other guys wide open? But if you want to stop that guy, you can stop that guy. What? In fact, if you wanted to, you could put three guys on Shaq and two guys on Kobe, and they weren't going to score. Now the other three guys that aren't covered are going to end up scoring 1,000 points. But you can stop somebody if you want to stop somebody. you got to make the guys around your best players – 
make them pay if teams sell out to just stop one guy or now two guys. Yeah, that's why you need the duo. That's why you need the trio. That's why yes. the Lakers weren't winning championships unless they had Shaq or Powell. That's why the Mavs weren't winning championships until you know guys like Jets ste- stepped up to play like all stars in the playoffs. I yep. mean, you need quality depth, skin quality depth, and it seems like they have it, or at least kind of the the early sort of signs of it. You know, these guys need to actually realize all of this potential that they have. They're moving towards, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's and, a and and man. and the other thing too is you can't look at these things. You can't just pull up numbers and go, well, look at their averages or look at these percentages. Basketballs, it's a balance. There's a delicate ecosystem here. The point being is that you know I, I, we can go back to these conversations we're having in free agency. Why didn't they do this or why didn't they they do this? They targeted guys that they needed. You know, of course they would have loved to get certain guys. But they didn't just go out and just sign guys. Why didn't they sign him? Why didn't they sign him? Oh, dude, it would have been great if they could have got Danny Green and Kemba and they go out and get LeBron too and KD. I mean, right, it would have been awesome. Are, but if you look at who they did sign, they targeted those people for a very specific reason, and you will see it this year. Hey, those people are going to work out. Your pick-and-roll defense improved from, you know, no disrespect, but Jalen, who is a, was a rookie, mm-hmm. second-round rookie, with – DeAndre or whoever was playing five, it has improved now to DeLon Wright and Kristaps Porzingis, mm-hmm. guys who are combined, what, 13 and a half, 14 feet tall with wingspans that can they can t- high-five both sides of the court, Yeah, basically all the front row people. Ben was so happy with that picture. I think it was Steve Alica, the Steve Chavera that took it, where Porzingis was doing the crossover with the ball up, and he's touching the ground with his other hand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, they, these guys are freaks. Yeah. They got length. This yeah. is a long team. This is a young team. It's an energetic team. They got a lot of shooting, playmaking. I mean, this is the result of – I don't know. We're seeing, the, we're seeing the result of the process, and now it's almost time for it to start. And that Good starts time. on Sunday yep. at open practice. That continues on Tuesday on ESPN National TV – that is October 8th, I believe, 7 or 7.30 p.m. Is that at Detroit? Where that is, is that? At, uh, well, it's technically at the OKC Thunder, but they'll be playing that game in Tulsa. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's 8th. the 8th. Yep. Yep, okay. And then on the 9th, that's going to be on ESPN, also ESPN Radio. And then, or, uh, yeah, ESPN Radio and ESPN, the TV station. It's just ESPN all the time. And then the night after, they'll be in Detroit playing the Pistons. That game will be on Fox Sports Southwest. From then on out, all the preseason games will be on FSSW. They'll also be on ESPN Radio. We'll have highlights on Mavs Twitter. That's the 8th and the 9th. 11th, they're at home. That is next Friday night against Giannis and the Bucks. Okay. I think. And that game is going to be kind of lit because no one's playing more than like four or five games this year in the preseason. So every... Every game is going to kind of be like a dress rehearsal. So I got a weird thing to tell you. We okay. may end up – we'll podcast next week before the Milwaukee game, right? I hope so. Okay. Then I'll save it. Here's a tease for the next podcast. I have something really interesting happening as to why I will not be at that Milwaukee game and on the broadcast. Okay. I'll tease that for the next podcast. Oh, my gosh. That sounds very – What could it be? I don't, I don't know. Who could know? I'm going to look up concert dates. You going to a show? Not really. Are are you the show? Are you putting on a show? Uh, All right, I'll have to. I'll I'll, I'll do some investigating next uh, week. Next week on numbers on the boards. That'll be after too, probably, 
it'll be after their first game. Yeah. So we'll have we'll have real so, live basketball to talk about, and we'll we'll do some uh, detective work. Can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Skin, thanks for hopping on with me today, man. See ya. Appreciate you. Uh, all of the interviews for Media Day will be on the Mavs YouTube channel. Uh, Mavs basketball's back. Remember, Sunday, open practice. Be there or be not there. Yeah. Uh, And either way, uh, yeah, either way, we'll see you back next week. Numbers on the boards.